It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I couldn't be more amped up to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Jason Swink. He's an experienced entrepreneur and a self-proclaimed defender of truth, justice, and effective business practices, which we're going to talk about. <laughs> so, yeah, But we're going to have a conversation in large part today about proposals, because this is a stage in the selling process where so many deals are lost, and really unnecessarily so. And my guest today has written extensively about how to convert more of your proposals into orders. And so he's going to share with you some of his simple things that he can recommend that you can do to increase the close rate of your proposal. So Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. So tell us a bit about you. Yeah. So, well, I'm a husband and I'm a father of two boys, first off. How old are they? uh, uh, Nine and uh, five. Okay. So Christmas was a lot of fun. Yeah. Keep you busy for sure. (laughs) Exactly. And for the past 15 years, I've been running a digital agency and sold it a couple years ago, uh, which was a huge... Um, huge life-changing thing for me. And now I just help agency owners really scale and get to the next level. And it's the coolest thing I've ever done. So basically working with small business owners to help them grow their business. Yeah, really set up the right systems. Because, you know, it's, it's all about having the right systems in place in order to scale. Because we all go through, you know, that fun stage where, we're starting out, and then uh, they're like, man, I hit the ceiling. What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's start with the first question. Is what do truth and justice have to do with effective business practices? You know, I always wanted to do something and be a little odd and, and unique and didn't want a, a normal bio like everybody has. And so I just wanted to create, uh, you know, my superhero bio. Uh So that's how I came up with it. Okay. So what are your superpowers? Really setting up the right systems in order to be able to catapult your business really to the next level and really see things that most business owners can't. So I guess my x-ray vision, right? Your x-ray vision. So so what are they blinded by? Or what are they blinded to? Let's answer both questions. Yeah. So they're in their business right? They're working in their business rather than on it. And they just can't, they don't know what they don't know. And they just keep being um, reactionary versus being proactive. And they're modeling everybody else in their industry rather than figuring out how did they actually get there. So like, for example, most small businesses look at the bigger businesses and, and try to emulate them of where they're at currently which is actually a mistake. So if you try to reproduce what Facebook has created, you're going to have a very long uphill battle. But if you look at where they started and started modeling that, which they started in Ivy League school or Harvard, Ivy League schools, universities, colleges, high schools, that stuff, then you would have you know, a better track record. And so that's really where um, you know, businesses are struggling. They try to model the big guys versus create their own unique path. And so, well, and really, it's not necessarily even, I guess, that they're modeling after the big guys. They're modeling after someone who's not themselves. Exactly. They're not being unique. Okay. But they need resources. They need help. I mean, I really what you're saying, it seems like what you're saying is that uh, 
rather than asking for help, what they're doing is saying, well, these guys are doing something that's sort of interesting. Let's try to do something like them without really understanding what the impact will be for them. Exactly. Hmm. So what is the solution for them? I mean, it's, it's, you know, obviously hiring consultants one, but what are the other resources? You know, how do you get them to start opening their eyes to what they really need to focus yeah. on? So it really comes down to 12 systems, but the first two systems are really the foundation for everything. And most people, as they start a business, they don't have that clarity because they knew how to do something really well. And then someone offered to pay them. So they're like, holy cow, I can start a business from this. And they start a business. And then they never know where they're going to take it. They don't know what that looks like. They don't know those outcomes that they want. So they don't know that Mount Everest of what they want to create. And so now that they don't know what to create, they don't have strategies in order to get there. And that's why they're constantly beating their heads trying to figure out where to go. So what and are the, those first two systems they need to put in place? So clarity is the first system. They need to know where they're going, right? So the second, well, yeah. intro, I'm just going to drill down. You said it's a system. So what's the, what is the system behind it? I mean, what, what is that clarity of thought? I mean, is there a process behind it? Well, yeah. So you need to know where you're going. You need to have that vision. You need to have those core values defined. You need to know, you know, how many deals do I need to get in order to hit where I'm going? Am I going to sell my business? Am I going to create a lifestyle business? Am I going to hand this business off to the employees? What do I want to do? You have to have that clarity. When I refer to systems, I'm not talking about technology. I'm talking about systematically um, creating workflows and processes and figuring out what needs to happen. Right. So and, if you don't, and even goals, as you talked about and clarity, exactly. being very clear about what it is you, not only what you want to achieve, but I think most importantly, you talked about what you want to be. Correct. Yeah. And if you don't have those long-term outcomes of what you want to do, how can you set your 90 day goals, which is so important. I know this is probably going live in Q2, but as we're recording this, this is the new year. Mm -hmm. Everybody sets the yearly goals. Which is kind of crap, right? Because oh, exactly, I, I agree. I think you do ninety-day goals at max. Yeah, and, and so you get. And the reason why you do ninety-day goals is to know what to say no to. That's mm -hmm. the one of the most important things that you need to do. And so, if you don't have that clarity, you're constantly going around. It's kind of like using Google Maps, right? It's an amazing tool. It can get you anywhere in the world. But if you don't have a destination, it's useless. And it's the same thing with clarity with running your business. Okay, perfect. Love it. So what's the next one? The next one is specialization. And this is one that so many people struggle with. Like I talk to people all day long and they say, I go, who's your target market? Who, who do you help? They go, small businesses. I go, all right, let me ask you again. Who do you help? Because small business is not a target market. And then they'll say, well, B2B companies. Like again, B2B, it's better. You're getting better, but you have to drill down because you cannot understand um, someone's biggest challenges or their desires if, if you go so broad. And you're going to scare away more people than, um, than, than if you specialize. Like That's how we built Solar Velocity to you know, a multi-million dollar corporation that got bought because we specialized. And you can specialize in two different ways. You can do it on a vertical, which most people do, like per an industry. Or you could do it horizontal, which is by maybe a particular technology that you know better than most. And then the best scenario is to do both. 
And if you do that, and I'm not saying you turn down work outside of your specialty. I'm just saying you market to that specialty. Like I work with all kinds of business all over the world in all different kinds of industries. But if you go to my website, jasonswank.com, you'll only see me marketing to digital agency owners. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's how you become the authority in your market. Right, right. So what's the third system? Third system is really figuring out how to attack the market, right? And really figure out, you know, who am I going to go after? How am I going to reach them? How do I get my foot in the door, right? How do I, um, who do I partner with? Who do I, how do I run a sales meeting, which you can help them out with, I, I think, right? Yeah, sure. Um, and really to have that out, outgoing or outbound sales um, system. Right. Because so many people, especially these days, they get lazy and they think, well, I'll just write a bunch of blogs and people will come to me. Mm -hmm. And that's good. Mm -hmm. And that's one system. That's the next system attract. But you also have to have, you know, kind of I always looked at sales as kind of three different systems for running itself. Strategic partnerships, outbound and inbound. And you have to have all three because sometimes one of them is going to go down a little bit and then the other two will pick each other up. Right. So let's talk a little bit about down the, the sales system side, because I really wanted to get into this topic about proposals, because this is, yeah. I said, this is you know a critical point in the selling process where you see so many companies really undo some of the good work that they may have done before leading up to it and shoot themselves in the foot. And it really doesn't, as I said, it's unnecessarily complex in many cases. So let's talk about this. So in your experience, sir, what are the maybe two or three most common mistakes that you see sellers or companies make with proposals? Yeah, two of them. Um, so the first one uh, <laughs> is they rely on the proposal to sell the deal. You should already have sold the deal before they even get the proposal. Right. Right. So they think the proposal is going to win them the deal. The, the second one is don't send the damn proposal. You know, the number one way that a client's going to go dark on you or go silent is when you send them the proposal. Now, you need to review this with them before you send it to them. That's what I'm meaning, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, I, how many times do you, like, send a proposal and then you call and say, hey, um, I haven't heard from you in a while, and you, it's crickets, right? <laughs> it's because you haven't qualified them right. And so if they if they stop sending the proposal, like, for example, people would say, hey, Jason, you know, we want you to um, design a website. Can you get us a proposal? said, well, I'd love to do a proposal. Let me ask you a couple more questions to figure out if we're right for each other. And then if we are right for each other, I'll say, when uh, will Wednesday at 1 p.m. work for you to review the proposal? And if they say, no, just send it over. I said, well, this is our process. And if, if that doesn't work for you, we may not be the best fit because they're just fishing and they're wasting my time. Yeah, it seems like a couple steps are missing in that whole process, as you said, in terms of Where's the discovery, right? How do I how do I understand what you really need yep. and put that into a proposal if we're not going to talk about it beforehand? Yeah, but I've, I've really kind of broken out kind of the proposal process into kind of eight steps and, you know, in writing the proposal. And, and I was able to do proposals in really under 15 minutes. And just to give you kind of some uh, context behind the proposals. We wrote proposals for LegalZoom, Hitachi, AT&T. These were, were proposals from 50,000 to 250,000. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a lot of people think well, the more time I put in or the longer the proposal, the, the more I can get, which is 
kind of crazy. So what we did is we developed kind of a proposal template or like a master template that we could go in very quickly and modify. And we really broke it out into the, the first step that a lot of people miss. And I literally did a survey, nine out of a hundred um, businesses left this part off. And this was really one of the most important parts because after you present the proposal, your proposal gets handed around and they left off a cover letter. They left off a cover letter where it really kind of explains their problem and what you're proposing. So you talk about a cover letter being different than an executive summary, though. So what's what do you see as the Correct. differences between the two? So an executive summary, here's where people get um, the cover letter is just trying to get them to read further. OK, just to entice them a little bit. You're not going to get in too much details. You're just going to say, I understand your problem. It's kind of the feel felt found. Right. And you want them to read further. It's kind of like your homepage. Well, right? go through you your feel, felt, found thing. So people that don't haven't heard that before. Okay. So whenever you're trying to connect with someone, you got to kind of say, look, um, I've been or we've solved this problem before. We understand this. So I, I'm feeling what you're going through right now. And here's what I found works for other clients or what worked for me. Right. And so you just keep going, you just connect with them a little bit. And then where you where it separates from the cover letter to the executive summary, and this is where a lot of people in the executive summary get it wrong, is they summarize what's in the proposal. And you shouldn't do that. You should summarize what they need and what their problems are in intimate detail. And this is where I spent most of the 15 minutes. All the other parts were like cut and paste and delete and you know, that kind of stuff. So all those, that time was spent in the executive summary and copying and pasting from my notes that we took in the meetings. Right. And so you kind of reinstate and you, I kind of use the neurologistic programming NLP into the executive summary where I would start off with stating two facts that I know they know is true. Right. It's kind of like almost that get them to say yes a couple times mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then they'll just keep saying yes. And then they'll, they'll keep believing you. So I always started off with two obvious facts that I knew the client was true. And then I would reinstate what they want most. And I would describe why it would be a benefit to them. And then define what they're going to get, how it's going to work. Right. And then, you know, then kind of end it with like, you know, hey, I've researched this and we have a lot of experience with this. Um, we'd love to work with you. And then I would start going into the proposal, right? And as I'm going through the proposal, this is very important. You, especially if if your business has a, a couple different categories, or um, like for our agency, we had marketing, we had development, we had design, right? So we had three major categories. So we would break that up into the proposal, into each section, rather than try to put it all together, and we would explain in detail what they're going to get, like the methodology, the process, uh, the deliverables. We would list out um, what's not included in there as well. So it would protect you as well as um, act as an upsell opportunity as you're reviewing this with them. They'll be like, well, I want a mobile responsive website. Oh, we do? Oh, cool. Let's, let's adjust this, All right? And it's real important not to put pricing in these particular sections because it's going to stop people dead in their tracks 
and then they're going to start comparing you to everybody else's pricing that they've already gone through. Right? There's a time to put the pricing in. I'll tell you where, but you don't list pricing when you start listing out your services. Okay. Well, good. We'll hold that thought. We're going to take a short break and we come back. We're going to talk more about how you structure your proposal to increase the conversion rate with my guest, Jason Swink. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm talking with my guest, Jason Swink. We're talking about how to write great proposals that are going to convert more frequently to orders, which is what everybody needs. And so you were just talking about you know, where do you include pricing in a proposal? Yeah. So after you list out the services and deliverables and timelines and all that good stuff, then you create a project summary page or a summary page where you list out everything. And it, and you don't want you want to be careful. You don't give people options, especially if you're on the business consulting side, you never want to give people options. They're coming to you as an advisor and it's easier for someone to make one decision than two. So why give them option one and two and three? Start with what they need and tell them based on you know your problems that you're having and where you wanna go, this is what we recommend. And then you just list it out. And then as, as they're going through the project summary page, they're like, okay, all right, web design is this and SEO is this and you know this kind of marketing service is X, great. And this is the monthly cost. Perfect, right? And so you agree on that. And then the other part, so now you can start getting into about yourself, about your company, right? So many people put that in the very beginning of the proposal, which is actually wrong. People don't care about you. They no, care they don't care at all. Plus, they already know that crap. I mean, they've, they've been to your website, they've visited, and you probably bored them to tears in the first meeting with your corporate capabilities presentation. So... Exactly. Yeah, don't, don't compound the problem at this yep. point. And so what we would do is we would put kind of who we are, and I'd list out my team members after we go through the proposal and their experience, what they like to do. So they start connecting with them, right? And then we'd tell them, you know, kind of what we believe, right? You know, and just to make sure that we're still on alignment with them. And then after we go through that, and you know, we would hardly ever list out any awards because awards are just, you know, great. You uh, you sponsored an event and won an award. That's really how I always looked at awards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not that and you're then, skeptic or anything, but yeah, exactly. But and then the next part or the next step is really having the contract in the proposal. So many people leave this off. Now, if you're working with huge, you know, multi-million dollar deals or you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars deal with these big clients, they're going to have you sign a a master service agreement. That's fine. You don't have to have the contract, but for most people probably listening to this podcast, you can put the contract in your proposal because you want to keep it in one document, keep it easy for them to sign. Right. And, and that's really what you do. And then at the very end, you just say, look, we've gone through this proposal. 
you've you've agreed to you needed everything are are we ready to to start working together do you want our help okay and, and that's really it you know my my closing questions you know after i lay out a plan which you know goes through on the proposal is you think this is a good plan and they're going to say yes and then if they say no then you say well what don't you like about the plan then you make the tweaks and you get to a level where they say they like the plan and then you just say, would you like us to help you with that? And that's really it. I mean, that's how we closed 80% of our deals. Mm-hmm. Right? So, but, yeah. yeah, I think there's some interesting points, too, that that are sort of implicit in what you're saying, but I think are important to sort of bring out. One is, at least I believe this, is that, and I've sold everything from, you know, $5,000 things to my biggest deal ever sold was $40 million, right? So... Yeah, you know, lots of lots of range in there, but there's some very common things you want to have ac- across all that complexity, between the simplicity to the complexity, is you never want to put something in a proposal that's new to the prospect. Mm-hmm. You know, as you talked about, you like to go in person and present your proposals, which I think is a fantastic idea. You should always review that, not just send an email proposal to somebody. But first is really you should have the customer's agreement on what's going to be in there before you even send it. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if what I like to do is, you know, customers, we do a discovery call and we're getting ready to put together a proposal. We've done, you know, one or more discovery calls and meetings with the customer is we'll have a call or an email and say, look, this is, this is our understanding of what it is that are your goals and this you know potential path or solution that best fits your needs. Does this align with what you're trying to do and get their agreement before you even do the proposal. Yeah. Yeah, because they feel like they're building the proposal. They're building the process. Yeah, I mean, there's that co-creation aspect of this collaboration. But also, it's just, it takes that element of surprise out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the same thing true with pricing is, you know, I think that's, and really qualification, as you talked about, is being such a key step of this is sometimes it's not even worth giving people proposals if they're not willing to, or not prepared to operate in a way that you think is going to enable you to win the business. Yeah. The the other thing that I found that really worked really well for us is never to lead like let's say you find you see someone in a bar or a pub wherever people are listening, right? And you go up to them and are you going to pitch marriage to them right away? Heck no, right? You're going to start talking to them, you know, kind of woo them. You got to do the same thing when you're presenting a proposal to a new client. So we would always look at What's the foot in the door offer that we can do to them and actually charge them for the discovery or a blueprint, right? Mm-hmm. Because what we found is, is if we can get them to pay us, they're 20 times more likely to pay us again. And it's going to speed up the process. And once you prove your value, you know, from them already paying you, you probably could charge even more. Or just incre- even if you don't charge more, you, you increase the odds of getting their, their future business, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you yeah, no, want, I agree. I, you always want to charge more, right? Oh, I know. But I mean, I said <laughs> for people that, you know, I heard thinking about even that perspective, just winning their, their ultimate business. Mm-hmm. It's a great strategy. And I, in my first book, Zero Time Selling, I talk about that specifically. I have a whole section about strategy called Start Small. You know, don't be afraid to start a customer engagement with the smallest possible project. Because you said it, and it get two things. One is accustomed, gives them accustomed to paying you for services. But you also prove your worth and your value to them. 
they get a chance on a really low risk basis to find out whether you're somebody that they really want to partner with. And a lot of companies won't offer that option. Yep. So if you're in a really competitive environment, one of the ways to win the deal is to say, well, yeah, we understand this is a $100,000 project, but why don't we start this $5,000 project? You know, we're going to go through and really help you define exactly what it is you need to do to achieve your goals. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, when, when my clients start doing this particular strategy, it's kind of like, oh, but they're wanting to give me a hundred grand. I'm like, trust me. I'll be like, you can get 200 grand after this. Exactly. And, um, take the five, show them how good you are. And the guys you're competing with, they're going to get demoralized. Yep. When you do that type of strategy, what oftentimes happens, especially if you're competing against bigger players, if you show your willingness to be more flexible and start at a smaller scale, knowing that you're going to win the business, all the business eventually, your bigger competitors, they lose interest because they have a bigger appetite, right? They got more mouths to feed, more overhead to, to fund. When the deals start looking small, they lose interest and walk away. Yeah. Well, you make it an easier decision for them. That's the biggest thing. Now, the the only time this does not work is in an RFP, a request for a proposal. But exactly. There's two winners to every RFP. Do you know both of them? No, go ahead. The one that wins the deal and then the first one out. We never did RFPs <laughs> unless we wrote them. Exactly. Uh, so, well, um, and I think that's, and that we should really expound on that for people is that, yeah, unless you've been involved with the prospect and helping them develop their requirements that form the basis of the RFP, you really need to think twice about replying to it and investing your your limited selling time in and responding to it yeah it's complete waste of time yeah because somebody worked with them right somebody helped the customer put that spec together and chances are it's your competitor if you weren't aware of it and the first time you heard about the rfp was when it landed on your desk yeah i agree with you 100 percent. is you're better off just not replying to it and not investing the time excellent so one other question I was going to ask about the stand the agreement and a point I'd make to people's and I think your point about including the agreement, especially in smaller deals with smaller customers, really key is make it a standardized agreement, right? Not some mm-hmm. word document, something that you really shouldn't be, especially in smaller deals, you shouldn't be negotiating your T's and C's with every company. That's right. This is how we do business. We're going to work together. We're going to treat you well. It's a fair agreement. Uh, yeah, we're not going to negotiate it. And if they do have a legal department, what we would do is we would send the legal part ahead of time so they could review it. So it would speed up the process because you don't want a bunch of lawyers slowing up the process after the client already said yes. Yeah. And these days it's even better now to use, you know, DocuSign or, you know, Mm -hmm. one of those services, which I I mean, I use in my business and yeah, I never have a customer ask to negotiate it on it. But it's a fair agreement. There's really nothing they'd want to negotiate, but even still, right? A lot of times you get the legal departments involved and they feel they need to justify their existence by negotiating a period or a hyphen or something somewhere. That's right. All right. (laughs) Well, great. All right. So I've got some questions to ask you, some sort of rapid fire questions to uh, finish off our, our conversation here. So one is a scenario I ask all my guests and you've been a business owner. You are a business owner now. So here's the hypothetical scenario. You've been hired as a sales leader, a new sales leader at a company whose sales have stalled out. They really need to be turned around really quickly. So what two things would you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? Really look at 
what their biggest results were for one of their clients and really laser focus on that and create a lead magnet, which is an opt-in that gives away something of value and really make sure that they have that focus on that particular audience and really create a campaign around that. So like, for example, let's say um, you're a uh, technology startup or you're going after technology startup. I would basically come up with something like, hey, are you looking to how to get your first round of funding and you're struggling with X, Y, and Z? Here's a t- here's the tool set that you need to do go do this. Because basically I want them to raise their hand saying that they are my perfect prospect. And then that is the list I'm going to target and have my sales team go after. Okay. The second thing that I would do is really look at what other strategic partnerships are going after the market that we're going after. And think about how could two plus two equal 20 rather than four. And, you know, see how I can help them. Like mm-hmm. I always had a, had a motto that you got to make deposits before you make withdrawals. Right. And, and so many people ask, so they'll call this partner up and say, how can you help me? I get people all day long doing this to me and it pisses me off. <laughs> they call and ask how you can help them? Well, they're, yeah, they, they just say, hey, you're going after digital agency owners. Can you write this review and, and mail it to your list? I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So think about how I can help them because it's a long-term um, road. I'm going after the long term. I'm not. I don't want to make decisions based on the short term. So the the two strategies I'm doing there is I'm starting to build leads and building awareness and putting goodwill out there, as well as I'm putting out goodwill with the strategic partners that are already in that market that are already dominating it. So then I can align. So it's it's a it's a strategy that I really employ all the time, and it provides you some leverage. All right. the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. I mean, you have limited resources. If you can provide a value to somebody that helps them close some business, then they bring you along in ways that you couldn't be, you know, for customers you wouldn't normally be exposed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great strategy. Okay. Good. Good answer. So here's some additional questions. So what's the most powerful sales tool in your personal sales arsenal? Hmm. Are you mean like a technology or a process? Yeah, it could be a process, an attribute, characteristic. It's asking questions. So I never leave, like if you go to my whole website, everywhere you'll see questions. Even on my about page, I ask questions. I never want to focus on myself until I ask questions because we're programmed as human beings to answer and it, it changed the focus from me to them because they are the star, just like what I was talking about in the proposal. So I guess the, the really good thing that I do is when I'm in a sales meeting, I'm asking questions. I'm never telling people how great I am and what we're going to do. I'm asking, what's your biggest issue? What's the impact on your business? And how important is that to you? Okay, great. So who's your business role model? Hmm. Well, business role model, not um, normal person uh, role model would be Steve Jobs. I think a lot of people would do that just because he always thought different. He was an innovator. Um, He was a leader. He was a horrible human being to people, but 
um, he was really good in business. And uh, so I look up to him that on a personal level, it would be probably Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. Right. So. So besides, what's the one book that you'd recommend that every one of your clients read? You know, I'm not, I'm not the biggest book reader, um, but the one book I really like that you can, it can really apply to anything. Uh, I'm a big tennis player. I grew up playing tennis. I played in college. I read this book called Winning Ugly by Brad Gilbert. Hmm. And it talked about the most important point was the setup point. Right. It's not the point to win the game. Right. That, you know, everybody like works really hard on that. It's the point before to get you there. And it's, it talks about that. So uh, I would recommend that book. So explain, go further, tell you, you know, what's the implication for, for business people with that? Yeah. Well, so everybody thinks like, I need to get to this outcome and they're just working on that outcome, but they're not thinking about what are the possible milestones or setup points in order to get to the the possible outcome. They just want to go from, um, you know, ground level to Mount Everest, you Mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. 30,000 feet up or however high it is. Right. But you don't think about all the different base camps along the way that you need to stop and rest and accumulate, right? And so that's that's really what the book starts talking about of like, all right, when you get to this point, this stage, this is your strategy. When you get to this next level, this next milestone, this you need a different strategy. And that's how businesses really need to operate. Because you're always reinventing your strategy. The strategy that's working for you today at this level is not going to work for you when you're at the next level. Yeah, and I think irrespective of what the strategy is, I think the point also that you're getting at is that it's really about, which I think is so important for people to understand, is you really can't manage outcomes. You can manage your process that produces outcomes. That's right. Manage your systems, as you talked about. You've got your 12 systems. Manage the systems and the processes and if you're really effective at that, you've got the right processes, the right systems, you're going to generate those outcomes, those orders, or as you said, the winning points that you need to have. Yep, that's right. Excellent. Well, good. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today. My guest has been Jason Swank. Jason, how can people get in touch with you? You know, the best part is just to go to jasonswank.com and Swank is spelled S-W-E-N-K. Uh, so just jasonswank.com. And, uh, you know, I give away about... 75% of my knowledge for free, and I just charge for 25 Wow, sounds like a great deal. So remember, friends, make it a part of your day, every day, to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And subscribing to this podcast is an easy way to do that, because then you'll make sure you don't miss any of our conversations with top business experts like our guest today, Jason Swank, who share their expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.